This show is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky things that are best enjoyed after you see the movie. So any movie we talk about, we recommend you go see. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You go right on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. everybody and welcome to another episode of Oh the Horror, a podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the expert Rob Holmes. And I'm the newcomer Steve Allman. And today we are talking about the 1987 Peter Jackson classic, Bad Taste. Yes, indeed. Uh, one of his first uh, films that I that's probably started his career well before Dead Alive. And uh... absolutely, um, this this was actually his first feature. It took him four years to make this thing, uh, and then after that, he did Meet the Feebles, which released in uh, 1989, and then followed that up with Brain Dead, uh, known as Dead Alive in the States. In 1992. Right. Now, Peter Jackson, again, notorious for Dead Alive, the Lord of the Rings films, quite a few other blockbuster hits uh, from the modern day, but had came from very humble beginnings, very humble beginnings uh, as a indie filmmaker in New Zealand in the late 80s and early 90s. And boy, I think... Here's the thing. I think coming off of uh, this um, Inferno trilogy, this... Uh, uh, Dario Argento type of mess of a cluster of, of these films, at least in the latter parts of this trilogy. Um, right, right. I'm still able to say that I don't particularly like Bad Taste, but I'm willing to be quite generous to it given my distaste for these last two films that we've had on our show. And to know that uh, Jackson has very much endeared himself in his early works uh, to where I can find quite a few things that I like about him first of all i think this movie is bursting at the seams with charm just independent uh passion and uh indie filmmaking charm uh if i can say that i i know that like the thing this is a very rough film this is a very uh like this this is very much a filmmaker beating his head against a wall trying to figure out what works <laughs> and uh it, it shows but there are some very clever and fun things that happen to it that I think I can probably uh, take with a pinch of salt with uh, how, you know, how many hit, how many misses there are rather than hits. And there are more misses than hits. I will say that. Yeah, I think this movie. So I saw this a long time ago uh, in my early teens, and it was one of those movies that was very hard to get. Uh, I was able to get a VHS copy, but I don't know where I had to get it from somewhere off of Amazon. This was like in the late 90s. And I ended up watching it because I'd seen Dead Alive and I wanted to see what bad taste was. Now, the premise of this film, just based on what you see in the cover, which has the weird alien giving everyone the finger and holding a machine gun, you're expecting something that's going to be insane. And the premise of it is that the population of a small town, uh, it disappears and is replaced by aliens that chase um, people down so they can take their human flesh and use it for their intergalactic fast food chain. Now, 
And when I heard this concept, I'm like, holy crap, this is going to be like Night of the Creeps. This is going to be amazing. If you took that style of Night of the Creeps and made it like an intergalactic, you know, spaceship and this fast food chain, I'm like, this movie is going to be batshit crazy. And I remember watching it and just being like, wait, what is this? Not realizing that this was something that was more of a um, kind of just a side project that ended up turning into a feature for this guy. You know, it wasn't something that was meant to... I, he didn't really set out to start making a feature with this. And I think, you know, not having that... that uh, not really thinking of it that way, because I'm thinking as a kid I just want stuff that looks really cool. Uh, I kind of wrote this film off for a while, which I shouldn't have done, because now looking back at it, I totally understand what he was doing, where he was coming from. And it was really innovative to see his early work, that he had this style and this vision... Um, and seeing what he was able to do on this micro-budget that finally, I think, when he was a few years into it, uh, the New Zealand the, the um, New Zealand Arts Commission, I think, ended up funding him about 200000 New Zealand dollars to finish it. Which, I mean, at the time, for an early filmmaker, was probably a fortune. Like, oh, man, no, what that's he wanted a ton. To do, I'm yeah. certain it was like, oh, this is a huge boon for what I wanted to do. Well, I think his, his original budget was very low. I've seen varying... Um, costs of it but it's looking like it was probably around $25,000 as his initial budget um, over these four years now so it started as like a, a short film project uh, that he was doing that was about it was only supposed to be about 10 minutes long and he noticed he had like 50 minutes of footage and thought all right well he was inspired by Evil Dead and seeing what Raimi did and he thought all right let's do this so he just started filming more and more stuff. And you can see over time that it, it definitely took four years to make because there are actors who have different hairstyles. Like, there's so many continuity errors in this movie. Oh, my God. Like, you don't, you don't even bother with trying to, like, make continuity sense of this movie because it kind of just goes and things just happen. I think you, we can safely say. In the beginning, you kind of already don't even really know what will happen or what can happen for this well, movie. Well, that's not that's not even that's not even the problems that I'm I'm even talking about there. I'm talking about straight up continuity, just things missing. Like, oh, this was here and now it's gone or they had this and it's messed up. I mean, there was de you could definitely tell this was a run and gun indie project, but yeah, as far as plot goes, uh, they never had a script. So it was basically Peter Jackson uh, and a couple other people thinking stuff up during the week and coming up with stuff on the fly and then filming it on the weekends. Yeah, exactly. And it can clearly be told that, like, this is a passion project. I don't even know how, like, the schedule of what these actors must have done. Because most of the time, like, for the beginning of this movie, it's just a bunch of guys in a field just talking to each other on on, on radios. And not a whole lot makes sense or, like, why would they be talking to each other? Like, the the plot is piecemeal taken together and you only make sense of it maybe even 20 minutes in uh, from the, the things that are gathered in bits and pieces. But most of the things that come together, while quaint and charming, really don't make a whole lot of sense until the end. No, and, and even then, it, it seems like a couple of different stories. So you're following um, this group called uh, Astro Investigation and Defense Service, um, which I guess in the 80s was kind of funny because it's spelt out AIDS. Uh, and they, uh, even say, like, <laughs> they even say that it's an unfortunate name, and I'm like, oh, man, this... Yeah, that definitely wouldn't fly now. Yeah, no, I, I'm barely surprised why it even flew then. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but there's Derek, Frank, Ozzy, and Barry. 
who are part of this group. Now, you really in the beginning only see Derek and um, Barry. Uh, but the problem that I have with this is that they're separate for so long before they even start getting together. Um, now, Derek was played by Peter Jackson, and he also plays Robert who is the alien that he has captured that he has tied up on that cliff. Uh, which I which I have to say that cliff scene, like the when I'm watching it this time, it is so it's so precarious, man. It's so dangerous up there. And some of the stuff that they're doing, I know that, you know, it's edited together and looks really cheesy for for how it's done. But I have to give them a lot of credit for doing something that dangerous. Yeah, because you clearly can tell that this is, they're actually just on the side of a cliff. Yeah, I don't think there was any permits or clearance. I think they were just like, yeah, I think it was guerrilla filmmaking where they're like, hey, no one's around here. Let's do this. Yeah, you know? and they clearly weren't fi- like pr- like following any safety procedures or oh, anything. Like, no. It was just him on a rope against an actual cliff side. And, you know, yeah. props to, you know, going with your gut and making sure that you can film something like that. But, uh it's it's again it's kind of the endearment that i have for this film like you can clearly tell what they were trying to do as it was happening uh getting later on into the film where there's basically like a commando sort of action sequence that's like prolonged until the end of the film they were clearly trying stuff out and drawing influences from popular blockbusters from the time or at least i could see that like i could see bits of commando or rambo in here because that was like the most popular thing at the time and yeah, I think that's my least favorite part is when it turns into very much just a, a B movie commando ripoff. Yeah, like a military where, action sequence for the latter, like almost half of the film. Right, because these aliens that we advertise as being the main thing and they look cool when they're there, it's they're they're in it for 20 minutes. And that's it. So, so you have the first hour and 10 minutes and you just see them as human. You, you get that little reveal of the... Um, of the leader, uh, you know, and, and he ends up like his hand comes out. And so Lord Crumb does that, which, uh, this, this movie has a lot of weird uh, references in it. Like right off the bat, we get a, we get a Stephen King reference with Castle Rock. Um, the fact that they end up calling the place, I think the, the place is called uh, Kaihoro, which means it basically translates to fast food which is what all of these people are. There's references to the Beatles when he's driving the truck that has like that elevated um, area in the back, and it's just the Beatles driving around. So as he's running through people, you get these shots of all of the members kind of as reaction shots as blood sprays across the window. That type of stuff is really funny. Like He definitely plays up the comedy. It doesn't always work, but I, you know, I understand what he's going for. And the fact that this is over four years too and it seemed like it was not it, it maybe it wasn't prepared so well in the beginning because they didn't even shoot with sound that yeah, was the clearly like this is, is that, the, the sound effects and even dialogue are dubbed over the entire time which i'm gonna be very happy when we finally watch a movie that is not dubbed over <laughs> due to either. well we will we will be next time we, uh, we'll talk about that in a little while um and trust me i think you will very much like this one uh but but what happened with this is he had with his camera, I think it was the 16 millimeter camera, it, it didn't record audio. So he was going to dub it for his short film anyway, but then when he finally ended up, and when they did try and get a, a better camera and had audio, none of it sounded good because they didn't know how to do the audio. So they said, all right, we're just going to film without the audio um, and then be able to just dub it later. And that's exactly what they did with it. 
Right. And I, again, I think that that's part of Jackson's charm in his early days of trying to be like a micro budget auteur where I see bits and pieces of his cleverness that have been reflected in his later and more popular films. Like a lot of his comedic gags are actually pretty spot on. Like the small little jokes that don't exactly land because of the amateurish filmmaking that happens like on paper. Oh, I could see exactly how he thought that that would play out. Like, I think probably one of the make like the perfect gags that I'm talking about is, uh, where I, again, forgive me for forgetting his name, but like one of the main characters is hide is in hiding from the, uh, invaders that are just like aliens or just men in blue and denim shirts, which is a very good identifier. Um, but he, like, he has this sort of like pitchfork, that he's going to be like luring one into like a shed and then stabbing one. Oh right, and right. Yeah. In the in the instant that he tries to open the door and lunge out like his jacket gets caught on one of the hooks in the <laughs> shed and like he just immediately like pops out and then the thing pulls him back in and the guys just confused like, "Huh?" And then his entire and the entire bit of aliens just come in to attack him. He's yeah, like, "Well, it's, this plan's it's a- fucked." <laughs> Well, it's a fun scene because, you know, when we see a lot of this stuff with with Dead Alive later on, uh, especially with that type of shed scene. But in this case, yeah, him getting caught and then instead of going out the door, then he's like, all right, I'm pulling the door shut and trying to lock this thing up. Um, And then they decide to use one of their own guys as a battering ram instead of really punching out a window and doing anything else. But the ridiculousness is there. And then followed by a really funny scene of everybody gets a hammer um, where the guy just holds up a sledgehammer and the one alien runs and grabs it, the next one grabs it, the next one grabs it. He takes this giant one, and the last one, who had been the battering ram, runs over, and there's no regular hammers, but there's this really tiny framing hammer, and he just picks that up and then just runs off with right, it. Right, yes. And, like, again, it, it's, it doesn't play as comedically as we make it out to be, but... On paper, you could see how you're like, okay, yeah, that's a nice little fun bit that they that they went for. Like, it, it's fun, it's endearing. Like, that's the main. Well, that's and, and the funny part too is is I don't think anything ever really ended up on paper. Yeah, no, that's like as like you they were clearly thinking of this on the spot, and they're like, okay, well, what other hammers do we have around here, or like, what can we do to make this funny or pace it out a little bit better? Because in the moment to moment, scene by scenes, ideas are very concrete at least in the middle to latter half where the beginning is kind of like all right we're just kind of figuring out what we're doing here and well also they had so one of the characters um the guy who played uh let's see giles craig smith he he was the door-to-door salesman and that's what the original i think that's what the original short was about but then i guess over the course uh, over the four years he ended up getting married and his wife didn't like that type of stuff and it went against or like didn't want him working on Sundays because of uh, their religion so he ended up quitting the film they got divorced over that time still and then he came back to the film so that's why you see him later and he looks different his hair gets different later on in the movie um and it's but it's so interesting to see and then there's one point where it looks like he shit his pants when you see him, God. and I'm waiting for them to make a joke about it, and they never do. Yeah, like just this later. unaddressed, like oh, you like you have this comedically large stain on your. Yeah, <laughs> like, and then it's gone. By the time they're running and getting away, it's gone. Which by the and time like, that wait. they cut to that, that could have been like two years later or something like like right. by the time that they actually reshot that. Or was it filmed in order? And that's that's also where you're thinking. All right, they you know they had a limited amount of film, they had a limited budget. This isn't the time of digital. You can only do so much. You can only take so many takes. And I think 
what Jackson was doing was just taking, you know, whatever he could and, and making it work. I mean, the guy made a jib for $15 to get his crane shots, which... Right, which, again, like, is kind of impressive for the shots that he was trying to get. Like, for a oh, amateur super, filmmaker, I'm like, super oh, okay, impressive. snaps yeah. for that. Well, seeing what people do now, it's, you know, sure, you can make one for $15 now if you go to YouTube, but back in the early 80s... Oh, yeah. Coming up with that stuff, it's all it's all this innovation. He did all the special effects himself with, with making all the, the masks and everything. That's why they're bent in the head, because he had to put them in his mom's oven. And to fit them in there, they get bent, which is why they have that little curve in the back yeah. of the head. But... And I'm seeing, like, these little, like, sort of, like, pizza crust-like bubbles that were coming up from the mask. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's clearly been made in, like, some sort of not-professional kiln or something. But Exa- it was just exactly. his mom's oven. And... But that's the thing, is that with, with Jackson, what he did is he took his limitations and he worked with them to the best of his ability. To the point where the New Zealand Film Commission came around and said, cool, we want to help you fund this because we've seen what you've done and we really like it. And this started Wingnut Films. I mean, this is this launched Jackson's career. Right, exactly. You know, without, it, like, it laid the foundation this. for what he was going to later become. And again, yeah. like it, th- like on paper and like on the surface, yeah, this movie's not that great. It like I I'm willing to say sure. This. No, it's if not. you look at it, if you look at it just on, hey, I found a movie, I'm going to watch it, and you had no idea what it is, unless you're cool with something that that has that very schlocky uh, appeal to it uh, or that look to it, you're probably not going to like it. I really do love the the Derek Brain bit. I think that is one of the, that to me is one of the most insane things about this movie, and I kind of wanted them to go more that route of it because. The character of Derek is insane. Um, I think I misquoted it last time when we did our Dead Alive thing and said his name was Robert in it, but that's the other character he plays. But the whole, uh, I'm a Derek, Derek's don't run, is such an amazing line. Yeah, it's, it's it's, again, it's that very cute, charming Peter Jackson-ism that I could easily see being on in his later films. Derek's don't run. What? (laughs) Yeah, Derek's don't run. Now, what's also great is that when you look at this, if everybody had that same over-the-top approach to this as as Jackson did in his character, because, he, you know, he fully understood what this is, and he, he understood the humor, I think, more than anybody else in it because it was, you know, his project. If everybody else had that same level of intensity, this movie, no question, would just be beloved by probably everybody. Because could you imagine if they all had that manic intensity as as him as Derek or even as Robert? Like, the character of Robert doesn't say anything, really, except make a ton of noise, but the the facial expressions and just how everything is done with that is brilliant. So, you know, had these other actors been a little more um, <laughs> trying to take it less seriously, I guess, like, I don't know if they're, they're had been acting before or they were just friends. I think they were just friends who ended up being part of this. It seems to be. And getting back to uh, the actually the effects in this movie, because oh, yes, we, we were talking yes. about, like, the actual budget that this movie had kind of acquired in its years of being made. And I think it's like clear that when it stepped its game up in the latter half of the film, the effects got better because I think like hearing that like this movie was got gotten a boon of big money halfway through it being made. I could see where that got their attention, where we get to see like the head exploding in the early parts of the film, which was an impressive effect for practically nothing for what they did like i could see the bits of chicken that they were just like throwing on the ground and stuff oh like and that. the foam too like the foam in the head there's so much foam in there that you can tell is foam but at the same time i think the quality of what we saw is probably i don't know if it was the same quality of the film grade that came out at the time 
So it may have been masked a little more then. But I still think it's fun. I think it's like it's cool to see. Yeah, I think that was what what probably brought in a lot of that money. It's like, hey, man, look, look what these people are trying. It's different. It's it's innovative. It's not the traditional slasher film that was coming out. This was like a totally different take on the alien films that were um, alien oriented in the 80s because you had, you know, E.T. and all these other movies that were coming out and they were all about friendly aliens. And then you had Extro and all these other films that were coming out that were about evil aliens. But they either played them as super friendly or super evil, but there was no comedic in between, really. You had Night of the Creeps, but those were more slug creatures than anything else. But then Bad Taste comes out, and they are in human form for a lot of it, uh, but there's, it's just played up to be funnier than, than anything. They're not really played up to be these terrifying creatures. Right, and the whole actual concept is that humans are being farmed for fast food like that 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 inherently is just silly oh it's and and that's it's it's just absolutely amazing though and then the because they're they're called crumbs crunchy delights (laughs) like again like just to think that we're like we're the fatty like not even healthy organic type of food that these aliens were farming that that's from some other planet but the we're like the indulgent like fatty mcdonald's planet that you well, can they, t- they even talk on. about what they get from other planets too and other planets have cultivated this stuff i mean the whole the whole idea behind it is great i think um i really would have loved to see what peter jackson would have done with it had he had a budget like the budget for dead alive which was a couple of million sure you know? and like in the, in the conceptually this is kind of like on a very very small microcosm at least for the grand scheme of like not only are we insignificant in the universe in regards to aliens but we are at like the bottom rung of a food chain like it reminds me a little bit of like a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy type of thing where like we don't even have any idea of what's happening outside of our like small little solar system and what the roles that we play in it and i would have loved to see a a kind of movie like this be expanded on if jackson ever had the inspiration to do so now that he's you know a very large hollywood filmmaker see the problem that i i would run into it now is had this happened maybe 10 or 15 years ago and and jackson had wanted to remake this i think that would have been great i don't know about doing it now in in this post lord of the rings jackson era you know actually you know, I might have to take that back because with the way The Hobbit went, with the way that trilogy went and how he even apologized for it being a rush job and have, you know, it moved through a lot of different directors and then back to him. And then they wanted to split it into three films. First, it was two films, then three films. I, I think he kind of wants to get back to doing other stuff. I know he's producing. They're doing um, what's the oh, Inhuman Machines or something like that or so, Immortal Machines Immortal or machines, something yes. like that. Uh, and he wrote that, and he's producing that. That looks that you know that looks like another big CGI extravaganza. I, I don't know if he would be willing to come back and do something super practical effects like Bad Taste or something along the lines of Dead Alive, or even you know The Frighteners, which was a good mix of things. I think he's jumped into that full CG territory, and it's that that to me is disappointing because man, this guy. I mean the the brains alone just for the the skull for the whole for the whole Derek thing and that opening up and him spazzing out and just shoving different brains in there. He's gotten to the point by the end of the movie where he has shoved alien brains into his skull, tied it off with his with like the belt and uh just goes on a on a chainsaw. Frenzy. Exactly. And like you'd like to see the type of inspiration, the type of uh 
you know, auteur nature that Jackson clearly came up with, you'd like to see him kind of take a step back and go back to that because you know that he's got it in him. You know that he tries. Like, as much as a failure as the Hobbit trilogy was and him trying to get back into the swing of things of, like, you know, getting his groove back, you might say, I would love to see him kind of go back to basics a little bit. Scale it back. Don't try to think about a blockbuster trilogy or a big franchise, which, you know, unfortunately is the main sort of crux of Hollywood's focus right now. But him as a filmmaker, I really like to see him get back to this because even with this film, with The Frighteners, with uh, Dead Alive, you see a lot of spark and inspiration from what he got, what he has. And I know that, of course, that like a, a lower budget will make you hungry, but I'd like to see him kind of work for it even though he can clearly make whatever movie he tends to like nowadays i'd like to see him get back to basics a bit more because this it like again this isn't a good movie but it's an inspiring kind of you know historical document for what peter jackson can do and what he wanted to do with his early career correct yeah i mean it's it's an extremely innovative film um, I applaud him, especially when you get towards the end of the movie, for going completely all out. He does deliver a little bit of a slow burn in the beginning with it. I think for the most part, it's it's a very inspiring film. You know, if you're an independent filmmaker, this is the movie that you should watch to get inspired to make a movie. And then after that, you know, the other movie I would suggest is to go see uh, Wormwood, Road of the Dead, um, which is another film that took four years to make just in the same way as this personally i i think it's it's almost like making it's a zombie film but to me it's almost like making bad taste nowadays right and i think so so to sum up i think what what our overall opinions are of this movie i don't even necessarily think i would i would only recommend this movie in the sense that if you want a sort of manifesto or historical document about a very well-known filmmaker coming to coming into his own with a budget late in production and trying to do his absolute best to get a product out there i think this is a good sort of stepping stone to see those early steps uh it's not going to be something that you watch with a date on a friday night because you're not really going to have a good time with it i guess you could say but i think it's an interesting sort of document for Jackson's career and more so almost than any of the other movies that we've seen so far where you just see some sort of raw like determination and power of will to get something done and that alone is admirable so I would say to me this is required viewing for most people if you're a horror fan I think you have to see it um if you're not into bad movies because they you know, you find them, they bother you, or that's just not your type of thing. Watch it with a group of people. It's a great party movie to watch if they have the same sensibilities. A lot of horror fans just get together, watch it with some some friends uh, who are horror fans. And otherwise, like, you know, you need to see this movie if you are a, a, an independent horror filmmaker. You just have to. I think this is this is kind of like if you're not going to do film school or something and you're just like, I'm going to do this stuff on my on my own. This is required. Get the Blu-ray of this. Watch it a bunch. You will learn so much. Uh, and then, and then just go, kind of go through his. Yeah, I would say go through his first. You know, go through his first three films. Act, you know, do Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, Dead Alive. If you're going for that splatter horror vibe, and just watch how his how uh, he evolves just over those handful of years. Yeah, I, I think it's a fascinating sort of start to see Jackson uh, in this element, and then 
seeing where he grows. So seeing a filmmaker grow like this is uh, fascinating, uh, to say the least. And I think in that context, it's worth a recommend. But uh, again, if you're not really looking for a sort of like inspiration for filmmaking, um, you might want to pass only because it, like there are clear and apparent flaws that like you don't you don't usually see with later on. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you go into it knowing what you're getting into, then I think it's I think it's fine. Um, but anyway, yeah, that'll that'll wrap up us talking about bad taste. Uh, but next week, <laughs> next week we're finally getting to it. We are going to do 1985's Return of the Living Dead. All right. Not, not like this again. One, this is this is this one's one of the high profiles uh, in the horror canon that I actually have not seen yet, and I'm very looking forward to. It is one of my favorite movies ever. Yeah, it, hands it's down, a, it's a crown jewel for uh, a lot of horror fans that I'm very much looking forward to finally seeing. Yeah, I mean this this is the movie that I won't say it's it, it definitely didn't start comedy horror, but it it pushed it to a new level. I think. Um, just because, you know, this it, it was a movie that was kind of based around Night of the Living Dead, but isn't actually a sequel to it. But it, it kind of is, you know. Um, anyway, we're going to be talking about that next week, uh, but definitely make sure to check that out. Um, that is currently on Vudu, so you can watch that for free there fantastic and again thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast feel free to check us out on itunes wherever you get your podcast stitcher spotify we're on all those things feel free to uh send us a review if you like us that much if you're so inclined you could hit us up on facebook and twitter to see what we're doing next and uh talk to us and give us any suggestions if you feel so inclined uh that's at oh the horror cast at gmail.com if you want to email us with that stuff and on across platforms just look at oh the horror cast uh so uh that is going to do it for us this week thank you again so much for listening i have been steve allman and i've been rob holmes and we'll see you again next time everybody Time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here.